Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Correctly in the Word of God that we are uh, ready that at any moment He could return and we as the church not be caught off guard by His return. And, uh, and we won't be caught sleeping. We won't be caught uh, not expecting His return but a church that is equipped, that is doing the work of God, but yet understanding that any time our Lord could return. It's not a message of escapism. It is a message that is to prepare us to step into doing the work of the ministry. Guys, would you bring the house lights up a little bit uh, just so I can see you? I want to see everybody. And uh, uh, it's a little dark. And so, but, um, so anyway... I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter, uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 10. I'm just going to read a couple of verses of the book of Genesis. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Nimrod tonight, uh, but I'm going to just lay some foundation because the Lord spoke to me this week. Part of the reason that's led me in to this series, it's been on my heart for a long time, and I've just been waiting for the Lord uh, through the Word of God to show me how to, how to step into this and begin to teach and preach it. Uh, as he would instruct me to do. So I've spent a lot of time in prayer over this. But in the book of Genesis chapter 10, I just want to read a couple of verses of Scripture, introduce you to uh, this individual named Nimrod, because his influence is not only in the time of the world that he lives, that his influence has spanned even into the hour and the day that we live. Matter of fact, his influence is ever-present in the world today. Uh, Sunday, I'm going to share with you uh, the Hebrew. The Hebrew uh, text also uh, has a numeral system for every uh, for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so uh, there is a numeral system that is with the Hebrew alphabet. And it's interesting what Nimrod's name comes to mean when you take that numeral system and you begin to to look at the name of Nimrod and how it plays out numerally through Scripture. It's a powerful thing. We'll talk a little bit about that on Sunday, but I want to just introduce you here in the Scripture, and then we're going to go to the New Testament. But here in the book of Genesis chapter 10, we are introduced to this individual named Nimrod. We're introduced, and he is a descendant of Ham. How many know Noah had three sons? They had Japheth, Shem, and Ham. And we're going to talk a little bit about them. Uh, Not a whole lot, but a little bit about them. And Nimrod is a descendant of Ham. He is a descendant of Ham. Matter of fact, Ham was his grandfather, and Noah was his great-grandfather. His father was a man by the name of Cush. And then Nimrod was born to him. But as you go through the genealogies of Genesis chapter 10... Uh, you begin to see, just like as you see in the book of Matthew, as you see genealogies that are mentioned throughout Scripture, some people just read over them. They don't read much about them. And I know genealogies can be boring because it's he begat he begat he begat he. But when the Word of God takes a moment and begins to focus on something in the middle of a genealogy, I believe the Spirit of God is trying to tell us something. And I believe God's Word is trying to tell us something. But here we see, we're introduced to this individual Nimrod in Scripture. Uh, 
Now, his name has a couple different meanings, but the, the main meaning of his name means rebellion. That's what his name means, rebellion. It's also rooted into uh, one who brings confusion or one who brings uh, uh, some of the root word can mean the word picture of chaos. He that brings chaos. He that brings chaos. And so when I say and I talk about a church being raptured ready, living in a chaos of a Nimrod world, what I'm saying is that the spirit of Nimrod that ruled in the day of Genesis, that that same spirit we see move throughout the scripture and that we see even present in this hour the very meaning, the spirit that was on Nimrod is a spirit that has attached itself even to the hour in which we live, which we will talk about later on. But here in verse, uh, beginning down in verse 8, let's look at verse 8. It says, Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now it says he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, he was a mighty one on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. It didn't say that he was a mighty man of God on the earth, and that he was a mighty hunter for the Lord. It says that all of the description here reverts to his earthly nature. It reverts to his, his, his secular, his humanism, uh, that he embodiment of who he was on the earth. And so it says, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And then verse 10 begins to talk about, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. That was a city. They list three other cities there in a particular land and region in which he found it. And then as you read down in verse 11, you realize that he went into the land of Assyria and he built a great city by the name of Nineveh. And we all have heard of the city of Nineveh. We all have heard of the cities of Nineveh. Now, Nimrod is the root and the foundation of cities that came later, uh, actually, uh, many of the Assyrian and Babylonian cities came out of the descendants of Nimrod. Out of him came the birth of these cities. Nimrod had an uncle, and his name was Canaan. And Canaan was cursed of the Lord. And we'll talk about why he was cursed uh, uh, later, why he was cursed, and why he was cursed. And it seemed that him and Nimrod, there was this coexistence, and of course we know Canaan eventually became uh, the, the uh, father of the Canaanites, uh, and then many other spawns of generations came off of that, and so we will talk about that a little bit later. But I wanted to introduce you to him, because I believe this is a time when the church, and we all know this, I've said this before, when it's time for the church to arise. This is an hour. This is an opportunity for the church to arise. We're beginning to see things that we have not seen, that we've only heard prophesy and talked about for years. We're beginning to see people through humility begin 
to prophesy and begin to speak things that are coming to pass. And out of the humility of their time with God, God is beginning to speak to them. Matter of fact, watch the video this week, and some have, may have seen it, of the prophecy of the preacher in Kentucky that prophesied the three dreams and shared those dreams. You know what, what leads me uh, to be drawn to uh, what he was prophesying and sharing is his humility. How that being used of God and his humility brought him in a place where God could speak to him. But that being said, of course, we have prepare, we have to prepare ourselves to live in this chaotic world, this world that we are now in. We have to prepare ourselves, but we have to be a people that have the ability to break off the spirit of Nimrod that is on a generation. To break off these things that have risen up and begin to be the church that has the ability to break the chains of sin in people's lives and return them back to Christ. What is a Nimrod generation? A Nimrod generation is a generation that is full of confusion. It is a generation of lawlessness. It is a generation of rebellion and anarchy and chaos as we have seen. Nimrod, wherever he put his hand on, became chaos. There was rebellion. It's even as in his name. Lawlessness began to flow. And we're beginning to see this spirit begin to rise up among the world and see it in the world. But the church is the only one that has the answer. We're the only one. And the way to do it is by one thing. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus transforms the transformative power of Jesus Christ our Lord is the only thing that can break a generation that has been given into rebellion and chaos. I'm just here to tell you that nothing else will do it. Only the blood of Jesus can do it. Only the power of the cross can do it. Only the power of being a witness for Christ can break, can break off the spirit of Nimrod. And so the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible tells us, or the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, if you would turn over to the book of Acts, we're going to be there for just a moment. We're actually going to go to Acts chapter 8 in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible tells us, we know what the scripture says to us in verse 8. It tells us, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when the Holy Spirit has filled you, when the Holy Spirit has filled you, look what it says, you shall, the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. You see that? So when the Spirit of God comes on us, then we are going to be witnesses unto Christ. We are going to be witnesses unto him. In other words, the word witness there means to be really, the, the main word is the word martyr, which means a witness up, but it really means, it, it, it means a witness of the testimony of, it means a witness uh, by proclamation, 
It means a genuineness and a strength of faith in, in what we have seen and know. And in other words, those who have proved the genuineness and the strength of what we know and have seen. This is what I know. This is what I'm a witness of. What I'm a witness of is to the power of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and a child of God, you have witnessed the power of Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, you are now a witness of Christ. And the church, when it is filled with the Spirit, we will be witnesses unto Christ. Simply witnesses. We will be living martyrs for Christ. Now that is a strong word. But we are not sent out to spread American culture. We're not sent out to convert people to religion or theology or to an ideology or to a, to a particular ideology or a, a stream of thinking. But we are to introduce people to Jesus Christ. That's what we're a witness to. And I believe that the church has lost its a little bit of its ability to be a powerful witness in this hour. But if we're ever going to see transformation, if we're ever going to see change, if we're ever going to see God break through and God transform the lives of people, it is not going to be through anything else but the power of Jesus Christ. And as I've been praying and asking God and asking the Lord to bring revival, not only personally, but personally, not only personally, but locally, in our church and internationally, as, as, as I've just asked God, as I've searched deep within myself, even during this time of this pandemic that has exposed a lot about the church, the Lord began to speak to me clearly uh, as clear as day, and he dropped a word, and he dropped something into my spirit that got me into this place where uh, I began to focus on, on, on understanding that what is it to be a true witness? How do we live in a Nimrod world? How do we live in a world of rebellion and chaos and a world that it seems that have lost its mind? How do we rise up? How do we let the power of the cross and the gospel live through us? The Lord spoke to me. He, and, and, and look, this pandemic has exposed a lot about the church. It really has. It really has exposed a lot about what the church, what's the makeup of the church. And it really has challenged us to begin to have to give answers to questions we've never had to answer before as the church. It's begin to ask us questions. How do we solve the problems that we see every day that run across the tape or ticker tape of the screen of the news that we see every day? How do we answer those questions? How do we answer the race questions? How do we answer the questions of, of total chaos? How do we answer the questions of uh, monuments and statues and rebellion and, and deception of news media and all of these things that are infiltrating our world and our lives today. How does the church answer those questions, but not only answer them, but have the ability to be a witness in the midst of that to bring transformation to a people who have been lost and without Christ? 
They're not just, they're not just people that, you know, they're lost. Let's just say it, they're lost. They're a world that's lost and without Christ. They need the demonstration of a witness. Are you all with me? They need the demonstration of the witness. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. And I'm going to tell you what he spoke to me in my heart. And then bear with me as I play it out. And as I let it play out in scripture to help you understand what the Lord was speaking to me in my heart. The Lord spoke to me the past couple of weeks if I sought him and have been in prayer. Because really, I, I, I've been grieved. I, 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 you know, I, this is a time that, you know, I, you know, I'm just telling you, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't even watch the news. What I'm seeing in people's lives, humanity, what it's coming to, I don't know. This is like shucking me up. I don't know if it has you. I don't know if you're worried. If y'all got children, if y'all got grandchildren, I'm telling you, you need to be concerned about this hour that we live in. But though we're concerned, it doesn't mean God's asleep. It doesn't mean that God is not living. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to work. But stay with me just a second. The Lord spoke to me clear as day. And this is what he spoke to me. He said, the church has pursued influence over authority. Hang with me. That we have pursued influence and has put influence at a greater level instead of the authority that comes in a relationship and is in Christ Jesus. Now, influence is not a bad thing. Influence is a good thing. The problem is influence is as far as we've gone. We've not learned how to be a witness and to walk in the authority that God has given the church through a witness of Christ Jesus. And the reason is, is because I'm not too sure that everybody sits in the church has been transformed by the blood of Jesus. I think some of them have just been influenced by Jesus, not transformed by Jesus. And if you're not transformed by the blood, if you're not transformed by the Christ, you don't understand what authority is. You only have been moved by the influence of who Jesus is. You've been moved by the influence. But I'm here to tell you, God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost that you may be a witness unto him and that the power of the blood of Jesus will flow out of your life. That gives you the power to witness through the authority that is in Jesus. Now, the word influence, it's not a bad word. Matter of fact, the word means affect, the effect on a character or development or behavior of someone or the influence of effect on oneself. In other words, it's not, it's, it's, in other words, influence as a verb means a behavior that can be influenced, but often, often, often show outward change, but influence does not have the ability to change the value, the values, or the motivations of the will on the inside. You hear what I'm saying? 
See, here's what influence does. Influence has the ability to change the behavior of an individual, but influence don't have the ability to reach down into an individual to change their values or to change their motivations. And so what happens is we have a church that has been influenced by the gospel, but not transformed by the gospel. We have people that, that love church, but they don't believe that this is the inerrant word of God. That it's fallible. We have people that love church and go to church, but don't believe that God created man and marriage binary, man and woman. I know people who claim to be Christians who believe that there's nothing wrong with homosexual lifestyle. Come on, y'all. We're living in a church that loves to be influenced, but it's a church that's not transformed. And what happens is, that's why we can come into church and people can like what they hear and they can be influenced by the teachings of Jesus and they can be moved to change their behavior, but the internal part of them, the sin nature of them, is never transformed, though they try to act on the outside to be good, they still have not transformed the inside. That is why they struggle to have victory in their life. I'm here to tell you that when Jesus comes into your life, it's not just an influence, it is a transformation. Your values change. Everything about you changes from the inside out. Your motives change. Who you are changes. Your nature changes. Your desires change. What you love changes. Are y'all with me tonight? Come on, it's, it's, it's Sunday on Thursday. I'm just here to tell you, but this is, and, and, and listen, I, I, you know, I don't know if influence is the right word that I've reached for, but it's, it's what I believe the, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. So what is authority? And so the word authority has been misused in the church because there are church people who use the word authority in order to abuse position or to abuse status or to abuse their position in the church in order to gain a particular gain when really it's not authority, it's influence. But authority is much different. The word authority, of course, in the natural, it, the word means a power or a right to enforce Obedience. So when a police officer is in the middle of the street and you are riding down the road and he puts his hand up, how many know it's not a good idea to run him over? <laughs> how many know he has the ability to stop traffic with just the lifting of his hand? What is that? That is an authority that has been given to him to enforce Obedience. It's a right to. It's been given to him. It has been a, a official permission. It's, it, it's to act a specific way, to be uh, as act as a delegate for another. In other words, that officer represents a higher authority. 
And when he begins to do things, he has that authority because he's been given that right to do that, to enforce that obedience. And he's never given the right to to go outside the bounds of what that authority gives him. Just because he's a police officer, he doesn't have a right to walk into a company and tell the CEO that he has to do this and do that. He's not a king. He's just someone who holds a position of authority. Right? And so authority has boundaries. Authority is in the realm of what one has been given to or dispersed to. But here's the thing. When we come to Christ, we have been given the authority that comes through the word of God. We have the ability to claim the promises of the word of God. And we have authority to speak to things and begin to walk in that authority that is in Christ Jesus. But the authority is not to abuse for our self-gain, but the authority is to be used to bring others to Christ, to bring others to the obedience of Christ. Not to the obedience of us, not to the obedience of our, of our ideology, not to the obedience of just a theological position, But what Christ has given us is the authority to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with the lawless that they may not just be influenced, but that they may be transformed. And so, but the church has spent all of its time on influence and has discarded authority. Because why? We want, we want the world to like us. Y'all with me tonight? We want the world to like us. We want the world to, we want to be able, listen, I understand the relevance of ministry. I understand being able to talk a language of people who've never heard the gospel. I know, I understand all of that. I understand being relevant. I understand the methodology of ministry can change over the years. But I'm telling you that the same wells, the same wells that the Welsh revival drank out of, the same wells that broke open Azuzu Street, the same wells that broke open the revival of 1959, the same wells that broke open the Great Awakening, is the same wells that you and I have the ability to drink from tonight. They're the same wells. And sometimes we've got to be like Isaac and we've got to say, we've got to redig the wells. Sometimes we've got to go back and dig the wells that our father has dug. Sometimes we've got to go back and redig the wells that Isaac was searching. Listen, Isaac was thrown, I don't even know why I'm going this way. Isaac was thrown out of the land. He was thrown out of the land because he was prosperous. And he was thrown out of the land and where he went to, there was no water. What was water? It was a source of life. He had herds. He had cattle. He had, he, had, he had things that were with him. And he had, listen, he was in an urgent position. He had to supply that water in order to sustain life. There was an urgency that entered into Isaac. He was a blessed man. He was blessed and had been blessed. And the jealousy of those around him, they pushed him out of one land. And he came into this land of the Philistines. But in that land, in that land of the Philistines, 
in that land where the Philistines controlled and where lawlessness was and where chaos was and where there was a world of confusion and all that they brought with the Philistine world, all of that was their idolatry, all of those things. In the midst of that, come on, in the midst of that, there were wells that were available to Isaac and all he had to do was begin to dig for them and find them and tap in to the wells that had already been dug. Come on, y'all stay with me because let me, let me, listen. Y'all know, I was reading this week, I was reading one of Ravi Zacharias's book and he was talking about the influence that Charles Darwin has had on uh, the, the, this world, but not only this world, that we have even adopted some of the ideology or some of the philosophy of Darwin even into the church. What he was saying was is that Darwin promoted this, the progress of species, that everything moved forward, nothing moved back, and that everything that had value progressed forward. And that there was nothing in the past that was, that everything in the past was much less than what was in the future. Everything in the, in the future was much more superior to that which was in the past. Come on, y'all. Now, let me tell you what happens in the church. That spirit gets on the world, and we adopt that in the church, and here's what we say. We say there's nothing in the past that we can gain from or learn from, or gather from, or get from, that we're, we've arrived and there's a pride that comes on the church that says that we are superior than those that have come before us, that we know more, that we go through things they don't go through. Let me tell you something. Man has always been man. He has always been man. And the very things you read that they battled in the books of Acts is the very same things that we battle this day. Sin is sin. Sin has always been sin. Man has always sought self-autonomy. Man has always wanted to rule his own life. And though our times change and there's innovation and all of these things, I'm telling you the nature of man is still the same. But let me tell you something. Here's where we've missed it. I'm telling you there's some saints in the past that have dug some wells <laughs> that we have pushed off and said they have no value because we are a church that is more progressive than those in the past. I want to tell you, we don't hold a candle to the prayer life of many of the saints that have gone before us. And we cannot even, we cannot even hold a candle to their devotion life, their dedication life, their sanctification life, their life of separation, many of them. And here's what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you, there is a time when you have to go back and begin to redig some wells that have come before us, and we got to go back and redig them and begin to drink from wells. Listen, what ha- listen, <laughs> the well of Jesus never dries up, it never changes. And the same well they drank from is the same well we can drink from. Man, I don't even know how I got over on all that. All I know is. It's prideful to think that our superiority cannot keep us from reaching back 
to the reference of the past and tapping into the wells that were there. There's prayer lives and righteousness and advice. Let me tell you, just, just, just let me tell you, just grab an old, just grab an old saint commentary from someone who lived in the 1800s or early 1900s and open it up and begin to read it. You'll begin to recognize the difference and that there are wells that need to be redug. See, there's an authority that the church has to come with. And what happened is we've given into influence. In other words, we have let the crowds determine how we do church. We have let the masses determine how we approach God. We've let the world and everything around us influence how we serve God, how we do God, how we do church. And again, I'm not erasing relevance. All I'm saying is, is that we build the church around the masses and around the ungodly and around because we don't want them mad. We don't want them offensive at what we preach. We want them to like us. We want them to like our music. We want them to like our preaching. We want them to like us. We want to be hip. We want to be cool. But I'm here to tell you, influence don't transform people. The power of Jesus Christ transforms people. Sorry. I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm just excited because I know that God is working. But I want to show you just a couple of places in Scripture tonight. I got about 10 minutes. I want to show you a couple of places in Scripture where, where, where people who tried to live by influence and where the gospel of transformation has a part in our life. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 8. I want to I want to go there, and I, I want to begin there because this chapter speaks to our day. Come on, we're going to dig a well tonight. Because when we look at the book of Acts, we, at the book of Acts chapter 8, we are placing and taking our society right now, and we're dropping it right here in the book of Acts. God, oh my God, you mean... Pastor, the same thing that went on in chapter 8 is something that is relevant to the history of what we're doing right now. That's right. You know why? Because man's nature never changes. Because the spirit of Nimrod lives. The spirit of Nimrod lives in this hour as it did then. And the, and the tool of the enemy is the same as it was then. So why are we surprised history repeats itself? Why are we surprised that saints that have gone before us. Why are we surprised that the word of God has the answers to all of our questions and that it's not a book that's outdated, but it's a book that gives us the information on how to not just be influenced by Christ, but to be transformed by Christ. Book of Acts chapter eight. This is a great chapter. It starts out by Paul persecuting the church. It starts out by Paul wreaking havoc on the church. The Bible says in verse 1 that, that after Stephen was dead and they buried him, Saul went cons uh, uh, consenting his death. At that time, great persecution arose. The church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lament over him. And look at verse 3. It said, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. 
The Apostle Paul, he began to drag men and women who began to be transformed by the gospel, dragging them to prison. You know what I never noticed? That in the book of Romans chapter 15, the Bible said that when Paul would go on journeys, missionary journeys, he would take up offerings and he would send those offerings back to the people, to the church at Jerusalem. You know why he did that? You know why I think he did that? Because I believe when Paul was in Jerusalem, he was always meeting families that he had previously brought heartache to. He dragged their dads, their moms off the prison. He broke havoc in the people's lives. I believe as Paul was in Jerusalem, he was always running into people that he had a negative impact on in his life. And I believe the collections that he was taking and somehow came back to the church of Jerusalem to help those that were without a dad or those that were without or those that had need. Paul always felt the need to bring restitution to the things that he had, had, had made chaos to. Never thought of it that way. Don't know if that's all true. We do know that the church of Jerusalem was generous, that it met the needs of the poor. We read that through, uh, uh, through uh, commentaries and through uh, many commentaries, you can read and see that the church of Jerusalem was generous. They met the needs of people. Paul was always bringing offerings back to them. We see this chaotic world, Paul persecuting the church. But what happened was the people were scattered and the persecution of the church began the witness of the gospel to the world. Persecution is not always a bad thing. Without the persecution, the word of God would never have gone out to the regions around them. It scattered the people of God. It scattered the witness of God into every region. It's amazing what persecution will do. Persecution will allow those in the church to rise up, and it may scatter some, but it scatters them in a direction, and you run in the direction of where God wants you to be. Powerful thing. What we begin to see as we read through this chapter, we begin to see in verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, hallelujah. Then verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now listen to me. Let me say it again. You didn't get it. Then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. (laughs) I'll say it again. Then Philip, a Jew, went down to Samaria... Samaritan lives matter. Justice for all Samaritans. Philip, being a Jew, went down to Samaria and began to preach the word of God to them. I don't know if you got it. Philip, being a Jew, went down to Samaria who were outcast, who were mixed breed. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans were abused and misused. Y'all with me? The Spirit of God got on Philip. He was one of the seven deacons chosen. One deacon, Stephen, stood up and was martyred. And now this second deacon, he's the first missionary to go out and preach the gospel. Now Philip being a Jew, went down to Samaria and began to preach the word of God to them. 
Did he go down with his Samaritan t-shirt that Samaritan Lives Matter on because he wanted to have influence? Did he go down with food to ooze their comfort? Did he go down to challenge them about who they were and what their race was and what they were in the culture? No, he did not. Philip, a Jew, went down to Samaria and began to preach the gospel unto the Samaritans who were racially outcast, who were hated by Jews. Are you with me yet? Philip, like Stephen, he was a great evangelist. Philip took his call seriously. He went on a mission field no one would go. Matter of fact, I'm not sure anybody was there since Jesus had been there. Y'all don't know who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans was a, a nation, or a people that was settled by pagans, who were settled by pagans that came in from the Assyrians. They were descendants. Matter of fact, the Samaritans at one time were so mean, they actually deported thousands of Jews. They were they had, they, had, uh, they had expelled the Jewish nation at one time. They, they uh, pushed them out of their world. They created their own God and their own temples. They rejected, they rejected the Jewish God. They rejected God as a whole. They made their own God and built their own temples, rejected the Jewish nation. They were racist towards the Jews, and the Jews were racist toward them. And no good Jew in his right mind would ever, ever have any dealings to do with a Samaritan. It was confusion, chaos. They had their own religion and their own temples. Jews and Samaritans, there was such deep-rooted tension and such deep-rooted division, such deep-rooted uh, anger that was bought into both of those nations. But yet Philip, by the Spirit of God, Come on, y'all. Philip, by the Spirit of God, went down to Samaria to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. Come on. Come on. Come on. Where are the Christians that are willing to go? Listen, guess what? Guess what the root of the Samaritans came out of the descendants of Nimrod? They were people of rebellion and chaos. Woo! Help us, Jesus. Help us. The Jews refuse to have anything to do with them. Philip preached Christ. I said Philip preached Christ. He preached Christ. He didn't preach Judaism. He didn't preach religion. He didn't preach religion. He preached Christ with transformation. He preached Christ with transformation. He didn't preach religion. And the reason why we're not having inroads into racial tensions and into the things of this country is because the church is trying to influence people instead of transform people. What black lives need is not a message of coexistence. They need the message of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transform from the inside to the outside and that in turn will create people to love people that at once they did not love. Are y'all with me? I'm telling you, if I was in a black church right now, they'd be running circles in this building. Philip went down to Samaria, being a Jew, preached Jesus. 
And the Bible said, and they received and they heeded unto Whew. Come on, y'all. I'm telling you. I'm tell- he preached Christ. Now, listen. There's only one other person that had an impact on Samaria. Y'all know who it was? Jesus. Philip was the first one that we know of outside of Jesus to have a record of having an influence. Matter of fact, I wonder, I started wondering whether or not that in there in Samaria, in the audience of those that were there, there might have been a woman who had once met Jesus not long before, who sat by the well of Sukkur, or sat by the well there of Jacob and met Jesus. I wonder if that woman may have been in the attendance of the preaching of Philip, and she was able to give a testimony to the fact that Jesus transforms lives. Philip didn't go there to convince them to like Jews. Philip went there with the power of the gospel to transform lives. And we got to stop having a message of just influence in the church where we get this to like us and they to like us and the corporate world to like us and the government to like us and the city to like us. No, we need to preach the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes lives. Hang with me. Oh my God, they heeded the things in which Philip said and spoke and preached. Oh my God. You know, sometimes... Sometimes when people are not like us, we have a tendency, the church as a whole, I'm not saying this church or anybody, I'm just saying as a church as a whole, we have a tendency to alienate people that don't agree with us. We have to alienate people. We have a tendency even to attack. Listen to me. Listen. Jesus went out of his way to go to the people of Samaria. Jesus Jesus was willing to change his whole itinerary. He put them on his agenda. And he sent his disciples. If you remember the story, he sent his disciples for me. And the Bible said that Jesus went and sat by a well all day. Until he found one person who can help him break the wall down and get into Samaria. He sat by a well. Jesus being from the tribe of Judah, being the son of God, being the seed of Abraham, being the root of Jesse. You would have thought that Jesus would have tried to infiltrate Samaria through going through the priests or through the leaders. He would have gone to the magistrates or the leaders or the kings. You would have thought that he would have gone through the authorities or that Jesus would have sat with the priests and brought truth to them to bring reformation of truth in their lives that they would be influenced by his teaching and wisdom and somehow be transformed by that fact. Jesus didn't walk into the city at the seat of the government. Jesus sat by a well. He didn't have a blog. Talked about the error and the heresy of the Samaritans. Attacked their integrity. He doesn't He doesn't pick the aristocratic people of Samaria to present himself to or the religious scribes of Samaria. The Bible said he sat by a well, not waiting on a man, but a woman. 
The Bible doesn't even give us her name. And when she shows up at the well, not only does she show up at the well, but she shows up with an attitude. (laughs) The kind of attitude that someone who's been abused and someone who's been attacked would have. She's like, what are you doing? I'm paraphrasing. Shane Bruner, translate, paraphrase. She said, what are you doing here being a Jew? Why are you here among us, in other words? In other words, she walked in with an attitude. She came in with an attitude, and Jesus said to her, Jesus said, give me a drink. (laughs) You know what I've learned? Sometimes hurt people, you have to be willing to go to distance with them in order to get through the pain the tragedy, the abuse, and the anger. You know what I found out over the years in ministering on the street, what I was renewed or remembered and was brought to my attention while walking through CHOP, praying to God, who can we speak to, who can we talk to? When I began to talk to people, their attitudes would be strong. They'd have anger and voice, and they'd be strong. But you had to be willing to sit there and listen to their anger and listen to their pain and listen to them shell out everything. Some of it is legit, and some of it is just a bunch of jargon that people have lied to them and sold them a bill of goods. But I'm telling you that somebody who cares about their soul, not about just what they do, but about their soul is willing to go to distance to find out who they are. Jesus didn't show up and say, give me a drink, woman, and head back home. Jesus spent time with her. Why? Because he knew he had to break through all of the abuse, all of the Racism, all of the things that kept a relationship, that kept her from a true relationship with God. You know, sometimes a church that has the ability to transform, a church that walks in authority, is willing to go to distance when people, when somebody else has given up on them, when somebody else just sees their fault, when somebody else just sees their color or their outwardness they are. God is looking for some people that are willing to go to distance to get to the person. Why? Because Jesus wants to transform the man, not change just their behavior, but change their relationship with him. You know how I know this? Because when we look at the scripture, the first thing she says, what are you being a Jew doing here? And then when Jesus answers her, she says, sir, then she calls him, goes from sir to calling him a prophet. Then she refers to the Messiah and then by the end, she, 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 uh, Jesus says to her, I am I that speaketh of him, he, when he calls as a Messiah. Do you see the process of influence that Jesus had? In other words, as Jesus began to get down to where she really was, that Jesus wasn't just about the influence. He was about being able to speak the authority of transformation into her life. Whew. Help us. In other words, Jesus walked her through the gradual revelation of her coming to the notion of knowing that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And sometimes you've got to walk with people. I'm telling you, people we talk with, we'd have to talk with for an hour. You had to get past the hurt, the pain, the sexual abuse, all the things that you hear. And I'm, that's not everybody. But I'm here to tell you that as a witness, we need to be a witness 
We need to be a church of transformation, just not a church of influence, not just a church that influences people about Jesus, but we're a church that transformed lives, that understand that the same power that changed us has the ability to change somebody else. Oh, Jesus, come on. I don't know. (laughs) You know, Jesus sat there at that well. It's amazing how God will bring you. He'll lead you into transformation. I just want you to know Jesus sat there at that well, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. How long did Jesus wait on you? I'm just going to take, I'm going to tell you all something. I'm just going to take a moment and thank God for waiting on me. Huh? I'm going to thank God for waiting on me. When I was drunk, he waited on me. When I was high, he waited on me. When I was away from him, he waited on me. When I was living in the world, he waited on me. When I was out and when I was away from God, when I was mocking, he sat and was waiting on me. How many are thankful that Jesus sat and just waited on you to show up, that he didn't get up and leave, that when you showed up, he was right there. He had been waiting on you. Come on, y'all. Woo. I know I got to quit. He sat down and waited. He sat down and waited. Jesus still waits on us. Because I haven't always known what I know now. I haven't always seen what I see now. I haven't always felt what I feel now. But I thank God he had patience on me. That he waited on me. That he's waited on me. I'm here to tell you. I just want to tell you this tonight. You may not be important to anybody else. But I'm telling you, you're important to him. You may not think you're important to this world, but I'm here to tell you that you are important to him. I don't have time to get into Simon the Sorcerer, but I want to close with this. This is where I really wanted to get tonight, and I wanted to leave you with this. And I just want to drop this in your spirit. My goodness, I wish I... Well, I have to pick it up. But anyway... I'm going to give you a paraphrase. Y'all can read it. Go home and read the John chapter 6 and beginning in verse 9. You know, it's interesting that there's only two miracles that all four Gospels record. One is the resurrection. Does anybody know what the other miracle is that is recorded in all, it's only recorded in all four Gospels? Anybody know? Bible quiz? No? Bible quiz? The only other... The only other thing, and there are many that are in the synoptic gospels, in other words, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, but there's only two miracles that are mentioned that are in all four gospels, and that is the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And I'm going to close with this. He's feeding the 5,000. And the Bible tells us that as he's feeding the 5,000, Jesus takes, they realize there's not enough to feed them. And it's interesting because Jesus takes what they have, and the Bible says, and he gives thanks. Knowing that they didn't have enough fish and didn't have enough loaves, Jesus gave thanks. His prayer wasn't, Lord, multiply these. His prayer was, give thanks. You know what? Sometimes you just got to give thanks for what you do have. And turn it over to Jesus and let him multiply what you don't have. Because added gratitude should always come before the miracle. 
Because an attitude of gratitude positions you to receive from God. And Jesus gave the example. He thanked God for what he did have. He thanked God for what was before him. It was a picture of being grateful. And you all know he fed the 5,000. But there's one thing that is recorded in the book of John that is not recorded in all the other Gospels. And that is the response of the crowd after Jesus fed the 5,000. The response of the crowd is interesting. It's found in John 6. And it's found down in verse, uh, uh, I believe it's verse 15 is where it starts. And, and I'm going to read it to you real quickly. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived, listen, it said Jesus perceived, he's fed the 5,000. John chapter 6 and verse 15. He said, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountains by himself. Now, do you all get that? Do you realize what was happening there? What was happening there is that the crowd was wanting to take Jesus, and they were wanting to take him and make him king. And they wanted to make him king, but they were wanting to make him king prematurely before he ever went to the cross. His time was not yet. He even said that in the next chapter, in John chapter 7, for my time has not yet come. But yet the crowd and the masses wanted to put him on the throne before he was ready to be put on the throne. Now here's the thing. They wanted to give, give, if they would have made Jesus king, he would have been king over them, but he would not have been able to die on the cross and redeem all mankind. See, what moved the people to want to make Jesus king was the influence that Jesus had. What was his influence? What he did did not transform them. What he did was influence them. And what he did was, is he fed the 5,000. He did the miracle of the 5,000. And because they were influenced by that, they wanted to make him king. The only reason they wanted to make him king was because he fed their belly. And I want to tell you, the church has fell into the deception that all we expect Jesus to do is to fill our belly. Cars and money and breakthrough. My time has come and my season, my money, my this. I'm getting this. I'm getting that. It's all right with Jesus being king as long as he's feeding them. But Jesus said, no, no, no. No, no, no. It goes deeper than that. I can't just be an influence in your life. I have to be Lord of your life. I've got to go to the cross and come out of the grave. And you've got to receive me into your heart and make me Lord of your life. Not just influence of your life. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Come on, this is the church, y'all. This is where we're at. This is why we don't have power. This is why we don't have revival. Because we're so worried about influence of Jesus and getting what we want from Jesus instead of being a witness so that transformed lives so that people can get saved. We're so worried about our blessing, we forget that there's a world that's dying without Christ. And Jesus is the principal thing. I'm just telling you, if there's going to be a revival, Jesus has to be the principal thing. And you know, church has got to learn to get out into a world, a Nimrod world, and begin to be a witness. 
I said it before. I'm telling you, when I walked in the chop, there was an anointing that came on my life. There was an anointing. It was an anointing that was stronger than the anointing that I get when I stand in this pulpit. That's not a bad, I'm not saying that's a negative thing. What I'm telling you is, is that the need of the people will pull the anointing out of your life. And when you get around lost people and you have a passion to see transformation, there'll be an anointing that comes on you that you can't but help but share Jesus. And I learned something. He said, Pastor, were you scared? Man, I was terrified. No, I was terrified. But you know what? There were several people that came to the knowledge of Christ. There were several people that said the sinner's prayer. There were several people that gave their life, several people that gave their life to Jesus. Several people. Now they have to make the decision to make him Lord of their life. But I'm telling you, when we were praying for him, I felt the power of God. I felt the power of change come on them. I didn't lead them to an influence. I didn't lead them to a church. I didn't lead them to an ideology. I didn't lead them to anything but Jesus. We got to start winning people to Jesus. Pastor Adam, would you come? We're going to close with this tonight. I know I've gone over a few minutes. Thank you. I'm sorry. I don't mean to do that. But I want to leave you with this. There's a port in Italy. It's a very famous port. The name escapes me. <laughs> sorry. I've read about it several times. It's interesting. It's a port that comes up into the harbor of one of the major cities in Italy. But what's interesting is, is that many ships and many ships have run aground on the shoals and on the, on the rocks and have shipwrecked as they've come into this harbor. For years it would happen. They would not know how to navigate through those shoals or those rocky, rocky passes up into that canal, up into the harbor there in Italy. And here's the truth. We're living in days... When we have to have the Holy Spirit lead and guide us and give us direction in the hour that we live. I'm telling you, it's easy to run aground and run shipwrecked in this hour that we live, in the day we live. And I'm telling you, there's a narrow path that the church has to navigate through in order to get to the harbor. But what they did in Italy is that they, there are three light points, they call them. They put three lights up. They're light points is what they call them. So when a ship, when a captain or whoever directs the ship or the pilot who leads that ship into that harbor, this is how he navigates into that harbor. He has to line up all three of those huge lights. And all three of those lights have to become one in order for him to stay the course to get into that harbor. If he sees two lights, he's off course. If he sees three lights, he's really off course. But all three lights have to line up in order to navigate him through, up and through that canal. That's how he's led by that light. He's led by that guide. Not to the left or to the right. And I'm telling you, that in this hour we live in, I believe the Lord has given us three things that lead us Allow us to navigate through this very difficult time and through this very difficult season. I believe God wants to show us how to navigate in these hours. Number one, we have to be guided by the voice of God, not by the masses. 
We can't be guided by what the masses say. I heard someone say, the voice you believe, the future is what you'll experience. The person that speaks into your life will speak to your future. We have to listen to the voice of God. We can't listen to the masses. I'm telling you, we can't listen to the influencers. The world is saying, church, you need to be like this. No, God says this. We need to hear the voice of God, not what, the, what, what people say or what people want. We have to be in prayer with God, not monologue, but dialogue. How many know there's a difference between monologuing in prayer and dialogue in prayer? Dialogue in prayer means that God speaks back and that God speaks to us. We just don't tell him all of our needs. We don't just ask for fish and loaves. The second light is the voice of God is found in the word of God. We have to be guided by the voice of God. If you want to find the voice of God, you'll find it right here in the pages of this book. The voice of God is found in the word of God. Listen, I'm all for dreams and I'm all for these things. I know there's the context of them. I'm all for the prophetic and all that stuff. But I want to tell you, in the church world, that, that has been influence. That's been influence. That's not been transformation. I want to tell you, you want something solid? You want a solid voice? Right here. This is solid. This is the voice of God right here on the pages of this book. This is the voice of God. We better start listening to the voice of God. You'll find the voice of God in the pages of this book. And I want to tell you, God will use other things. He uses signs and wonders. We know that. But I'm telling you that, that we have a church that's all they seek is signs and wonders. Everybody's trying to find what is the next big revelation that they can have, that they can turn into a book or turn into a CD season, a series, so they can sell thousands of copies and be great influencers in all the world. I'm telling you, when we stop learning and trying to sell books and CDs and start trying to transform lives, then there'll be revival in the church. I'm not criticizing that. I've enjoyed that stuff. I believe people have been given words from God. That is, that is to be there. But I'm telling you, that's what the church's focus has been. That's been the influence. Because you know what? We can hide behind a CD and don't have to respond. See, y'all ain't hearing me. I'm just telling you, people can hide behind the teaching of a CD and don't have to be accountable and respond to the word of God. <laughs> they can maintain their life and not be transformed behind a book or a CD. And third... We need the wisdom of God. We need prayer. Listen, prayer protects you from moving in your life emotionally and it equips you to gain wisdom from God. Wisdom moves too slow for some people. <laughs> you know, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with wise men and you'll be wise. I mean, no, there's simple truth to that. We have to line up in this hour. We're navigating through a difficult time. Stand with me. Thank you for being patient tonight. I'm sorry I was over 10 minutes or so, but I'm just telling you. We better line it up. We're living in a Nimrod world. I know you don't know what all that means. We're going to talk about it. But I want you to know we have to get away from just being a church. Listen, influence is a good thing. You know what? I'm thankful that we as a church have influence. I go down to the city, and the mayor is always complimentary and always have been of our church. 
That's influence. That's a good thing. But influence don't transform people. Influence only creates a favor or behavior from someone that's the behavior on the outside. It doesn't change the inside. And influence is fine. Influence is great. We want to influence people. We want to have an influence. We want to have an influence on our children. We want to have an influence on our community. But I want to tell you the greatest thing we need to pray for is for transformation. I'm telling you, we need to people see people come to Jesus. An authentic transformation in God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will line up the lights that guide us so that we can navigate through this difficult season. Father, we pray that we hear the voice of God and not the voice of the masses. The protesters are crying out. They're yelling this. But what do you say, God? God, we want to find your voice and your word. Speak to us for this hour. And then, God, let us wait upon the wisdom of God. Just like the children of Israel. When the Assyrians came at them, mocked them, the Bible says they waited and did not respond. And the Bible says that Hezekiah went before the Lord and the Lord spoke to him. And how Hezekiah did exactly what the Lord said. And by morning, all the Assyrians had been defeated. God, we want your wisdom in this hour. How do we handle? How do we navigate? How do we, how do we deal with this hour that we live in? How do we, like Philip, go into a Samaritan world and preach Jesus? How do we go into a world that's going crazy and be a light? I pray your anointing on each of us. Let us all carry the power to transform. Let us all be witnesses. Let us go not from influence, but let us walk in authority. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for the power of the gospel. If there's anyone here tonight, I just pray, God, that your anointing would be upon them. I know most that are here are born again. I pray that, God, you will give us the strength to walk in power, to be a church that transforms. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.